This morning we're continuing a message series that Pastor Richard began several weeks ago now. And the title of this series is called Radical Discipleship. Last week we looked at the life of Sarah. And we were reminded that a radical disciple is one who, is, who refuses to manipulate, coerce, substitute their own will and their own needs for God's purposes in their lives. Instead they know that God is fully sufficient in every situation, in every experience to offer the grace that we need. This morning I want us to continue uh, this notion of radical discipleship by also taking note that uh, surveys say this is a very special day, and this day would be what? There's a passage of Scripture that is a traditionally associated with Mother's Day. It comes from the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament, chapter 31, and we're going to start at verse 10 and read through the end of that section and the, indeed the end of the book of Proverbs to verse 31. So if you would, please um, open your Bibles to that portion of Scripture and follow along there as I read this for us in just a while. Uh, for those of you who forgot to bring your Bibles with you this morning, there are uh, Bibles provided for you in the pews, so you can uh, grab one of those and this passage may be found on page 1032. Now, as I just mentioned, this passage is traditionally associated with Mother's Day or some similar occasion when moms and grandmoms and all the women in our lives are extolled. And we certainly want to do that today. We want to honor their place in our lives and give thanks to God for them. But I want to do this today with just a slightly different twist. One of the things that you'll notice when studying the different English translations of this passage is how variously entitled uh, this section is. And, it, and all this has to do with different ways that verse 10 is translated from the Hebrew. So, for example, if you'll look at the title the NIV uh, gives there in your pew Bibles, that section there, you'll see that it's called an epilogue, the wife of noble character. And then sure enough, in verse 10, you'll see just below it that it translates that verse, a wife of noble character, who can find? Now, the first two words in the Hebrew language here are pronounced, ashet kail. Now, I want you to say that with me, ashet kail. See, now you can go to lunch, Mother's Day a little bit. You can impress your friends and family with new information that you heard in the sermon today. Say it one more time, ashet kail. The New Revised Standard Version, another translation of the Bible, translates these Hebrew words as a capable wife. Uh, the Old King James reads, a virtuous woman. And again, the NIV has a wife of noble character. Now, all that sounds nice enough, but it's my contention that all of these translations are just leaving out one little bit. The word ashet here is pretty straightforward. In Hebrew, it can mean both wife or woman. The two are synonymous because practically everyone back then, male and female, everyone was married because if you weren't, you would probably die in the desert. It was all about survival. And strong, extended family links were very, very important in order to make it. And that culture 
and in that environment. Only rarely might one see a single woman or a single man of marrying age. You had to be included in a group, a tribe, for survival. And so everyone age 13 and up was pretty much married. So let's be clear. Back then, there were no Beyonce songs, so all the single ladies, right? Some of you know what I'm talking about. Now, just because by necessity, almost everyone had to be married, it didn't mean you wanted to be married to a dud, right? So this passage that we're about to read, it comes to us in the form of a mom giving advice to her son, in this case, his name was King Lemuel, giving him advice on what to look for in a great wife. Now, I'm sure this scenario has repeated itself in many of your own homes over the years. How many of you, when you were growing up, received instruction, information, healthy advice on what to look for when you got older to find someone to whom to marry? Raise your hand if you ever got that advice. I hope you did. See, it started in my house for my two kids when they were five. And it hadn't stopped since, right? My wife is uh, coaching them along the way. But that's the way it works. Okay, back to the Hebrew words. Ashet kail. The second word, kail, here's the thing. It's used 230 times in the Old Testament and other places. And in every case, it's used in reference. This is the interesting thing. It's used in reference almost exclusively to fighting men. Warriors. For example, the group of men who fought alongside David uh, against the Philistines and the Egyptians, they are described as Kael men. They were David's mighty men of valor. In the second Samuel chapter 23, some of these men, they're, they're named and described. These fighting men were valiant because they stuck with David through thick and thin. And even when the chips were down, they didn't abandon him. They were mighty in their battle abilities, And they were also extraordinary in their trust of God. And because of their commitment to their Lord and to David, they are memorialized for us in Scripture. So now what's all the point of this? Well, could it be that the woman who was talked about in Proverbs 31, could it be that she is indeed virtuous and noble and capable? Yes, she is all these things. But maybe even more accurately, according to the Hebrew, She should be called a valiant warrior mom. What do you think? I think so. Let's read about this valiant warrior mom now. And as I do this, I ask that you would have in your mind a couple of questions. Number one, who do you know that would fit this profile, this description? And what does it mean to be a woman of commitment and of character? a radical disciple who stands her ground and does the right thing, even when everybody else in the world around her says her to do something else. Let's begin reading in verse 10 now. Proverbs chapter 31. A wife of noble character, who can find? She is worth far more than rubies. Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. She selects wool and flax and works with eager hands. She is like the merchant ships bringing food from afar. She gets up while it is still dark. She provides food for her family and portions for her servant girls. She considers a field and buys it. 
Out of her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She sets about her work vigorously. Her arms are strong for her tasks. She sees that her trading is profitable and her lamp does not go out at night. In her hand, she holds the distaff and grasps the spindle with her fingers. She opens her arms to the poor and extends her hands to the needy. When it snows, she has no fear for her household, for all of them are clothed in scarlet. She makes coverings for her bed. She is clothed in fine linen and purple. Her husband is respected at the city gate, where he takes his seat among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them and supplies the merchants with sashes. She is clothed with strength and dignity, and she can laugh at the days to come. She speaks with wisdom, and faithful instruction is on her tongue. She watches over the affairs of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children arise and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the reward she has earned and let her works bring her praise at the city gate. May the Lord God bless to us this reading of a portion of his word. Amen. When I was four years old, I did not like to take my midday naps. My mom was at the end of her rope. She tried everything she could think of to make me go to sleep. Finally, she concluded that drastic measures were needed. So more than once, she would put me in the bed, and then she would say, Okay, don't move. And she was, of course, hoping that my uh, stillness would induce sleepiness. But there was one finer measure uh, that she would employ uh, to get me to go to sleep, and it looked something like this. (laughs) So I would lie there on the bed watching her, and she would sit there in the rocking chair at the foot of my bed like this, (laughs) threatening me without ever saying a word. But I got the message. Did I mention that she had just about had it with me? I could tell you stories, legendary accounts of um, a can of orange spray paint and all the air conditioning units around the neighborhood. I just didn't think they needed to be green. Orange would be better. Did I mention that she had had it? I was a pretty tough nut to crack. I was especially resilient in my resolve not to take my naps. So this is what she would do. She would uh, sit me down on the bed. She would sit down in the rocking chair. Fly swatter held high. And I would lie there and she would sit there. And After a little while that fly swatter would start to... uh, I'm watching. A little while longer, her her head would nod and that fly swatter would. And I was gone. Out the door. 
out the door. There was a there was a, a electrified barbed wire fence right behind our house with horses in it, and uh, so why would a four year old boy want to climb through that uh, barbed wire fence? Anybody know? Because God put it there, right? Do, do any of y'all's four year old grandchildren climb through barbed wire fences now? Children are so soft these days, you know. I was off. Climbing trees. Smashing watermelons. Okay, yeah, one day she tied me to a tree. I'm, it's on TV now. Everybody's going to know that. Did I mention that she had had it? As a four-year-old, I had no idea how, how sleepy, how tired my mom could get. When she fell asleep... I thought she was just modeling for me what I needed to do. I had no idea at the time that she might have needed some sleep herself. But I had too much boundless energy for a midday nap. So I was off once again rummaging through the utility closet or whatever else I could find to do. You know, it's a tough thing to be a valiant warrior mom. Those Philistines and Amorites Moabites, Canaanites, they're always there nipping at your physical and emotional strength. When you're just starting out as a wife, the first thing you have to do is convince your Philistine husband that stereo speakers are not living room furniture. I still don't know why they're not, but I'll go with that. Then comes those Amorite infants. Remember years ago, Tracy and I were visiting the hospital Friends of ours, Andrew and Sandy, had just had their first child, little Nathan. Uh, he was a day old, and I uh, went over to check him out, and he was so nice and calm and beautiful lying there in his little crib and soaking up all the attention and all that kind of thing. And by chance, I turned away to talk to his mom and dad, but, and, but when I did that, it, it sounded like a, an air raid siren started blasting from behind me, and I turned around and little Nathan wasn't there anymore. Instead, it was this red, snarling, wailing little entity who, uh, in the only language that he knew, but in a very gentle message, said, Feed me! Infants are exhausting. They demand round-the-clock attention, and they require constant care and worry from their valiant warrior mom. Next come those Moabite teenagers. Hmm. I'm going to lay off the teenagers today. But if the assaults of the hormonally challenged are not enough, then comes those Canaanites who have not yet been driven from the land, who are friends and neighbors who want to offer you advice on how to raise your children because they only want to help you. Then there are thoughts of career and education. Seems like there's pressure on every side for a valiant warrior mom. So how do you steer a course through all these pagan raiders in your life? What principles can guide you through the constant raids upon your physical and emotional well-being, allowing you to remain a person of character? Well, Proverbs 31 gives six character traits that a person can live by in order to live a life of radical commitment and of faith. 
And I've included a place in your bulletin insert today where you can write these down if you like as I go through them uh, pretty quickly. Now these traits are not just for moms or married women or for women alone for that matter. They're for men as well. These final 21 verses from the book of Proverbs summarize all the characteristics of a life of wisdom. And indeed wisdom is the entire theme of the book of Proverbs. Proverbs is a rich gold mine of instruction on how to live life wisely. And all the characteristics of a life of wisdom can be found in these verses. And in this final capstone illustration of this Kyle woman, this committed woman, this mighty woman of valor. So if you look at the outline there, first of all, she is trustworthy. Trustworthy. She can be trusted to come through in all of her relationships. I'm not a child developmentalist expert or anything like that, but I do believe the first thing that a child detects when it is born is the loving presence of someone with whom they can trust. And that is so important. Secondly, she is shrewd. You can see this in verses 16 and 18. Now that one kind of surprised me. And we're talking about godly shrewdness here, right? Not being a shrew. You got that? Good. Matthew 10, 16, Jesus says, Be as wise as serpents, as as innocent as what? Doves. Thirdly, she is generous. This apparently is a key characteristic of a person of wisdom because generosity to those who are in need, this is a major theme that runs throughout the book of Proverbs. Fourthly, she is industrious. This is all through Proverbs 31. Fifthly, she is wise. Wise. A long time ago, I learned a really easy definition of wisdom. Wisdom is the practical application of knowledge. All of us have known folks, and even we ourselves, we've gotten caught up into situations, we've gotten foolishly caught into things where we shouldn't have been. And we do this even when, quite frankly, we're pretty intelligent. Wisdom is the practical application of God's knowledge in our lives. Verse 26 says, She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. In the NIV it says, And faithful instruction is on her tongue. The Hebrew word here behind faithful instruction and kindness is pronounced Hesed. Everyone say that with me. Hesed. Now this is not your run-of-the-mill, be on your P's and Q's, be a nice kind of person thing. Hesed in the Old Testament is a word used to describe God's covenant love for His people. This is a major theme of the Old Testament also. So when Proverbs says that she has the teaching of kindness, or the teaching of faithful instruction on her tongue, it means that she is an able teacher of God's Word God's law, God's promises. In other words, she is a teacher of the Bible. She knows what it says, and she knows why she believes it. The last characteristic of a valiant warrior mom is that, number six, she fears God. She fears God. Verse 30 says, Charm is deceitful, and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. In our culture, with all of its talk about spirituality and finding yourself, it's very interesting to me that very little gets said about actually 
fearing God. But a healthy sense of, of fear and of reverence, of awe and response, is a starting point for any person's relationship with God. Proverbs 1 says so. And a Kail woman, she has this sense. And because of this, she, above all others, is to be praised. Now let me ask you all, do you think there are any valiant warrior women like the one described in Proverbs around today? Have you ever seen one? And if so, what do you think they would look like now? So here's the thing. Our culture is more than ready to give us several versions of what this warrior woman might look like. And indeed, some of them, at least partially, might fit the bill that we have here in Proverbs 31. So, for example, verse 17 says, She girds herself with strength and makes her arms strong. Do you and you all remember that TV show from the 90s called Xena, Warrior Princess? Maddie, remember Xena? Yeah, she is friend of Hercules and thrower of javelins. Pretty impressive character. But you know, I don't think Xena completes the whole picture here. Here's another warrior mom, another warrior woman in our culture. How about Martha Stewart? Now just think about it. No relation, by the way. Now, there's a tough warrior woman that everyone can emulate. Able to decorate an entire house in 30 minutes without breaking a sweat. And you can do it too. It's a good thing. All you need is a staff of 50 and a multi-million dollar budget for potpourri and shower curtains. You can do it. Verse 27 says, She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Sounds like Martha to me. She's a pretty busy individual. No, maybe Martha Stewart. Maybe she doesn't fit the picture either. I do not think she's what Proverbs totally has in mind. Nora and Lauren, why don't you all come up and help me for a little while, okay? So where are all the valiant warrior moms? Well, actually, I think they're all around us. This morning, I'm going to ask for you to indulge me for just a bit. And with the help of my young helpers, I want to share with you the greatest illustration I know of these Proverbs, my own maternal grandmother. Now, she, of course, is unique. She had her own story. But I do hope that in her story, you'll be able to hear echoes of someone that you know and someone that you love. And here's the thing, you all. Not everyone here, of course, is a mom. Not all of us are. And for some of you, this can be a very painful thing. It's very hurtful. But at the same time, it's also true that though not all of us are moms, everyone has a mom. And because of that fact, this makes this day a reason to celebrate. Reba Runell Oliver was born in 1919 to Hewlin and Minnie Oliver and in the 1930s, during the Depression, she, and her, as a teenager, moved with her cotton-growing family from Commerce, Georgia, from the Red Clay Hills there, 
to Greensboro, North Carolina to work in the mills because they had heard there were jobs there. She puts her hands to the distaff and her hands hold the spindle. She met and married my grandfather and they promptly had eight children, four boys and four girls. Mama and Papa started farming on a piece of land that they bought across from his old home place. She considers a field and buys it. They raised cows, pigs, chickens. I didn't chase any of those animals. And planted and harvested every kind of fruit and vegetable and manageable. Watermelons, collards, okra, corn, tomatoes, and strawberries, just to name a few. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. Now, any of you who have ever worked on a farm, you know that this is probably the hardest work you could ever do. She girds herself with strength and makes her arms strong. You have to rise before the sun does and milk the cows and feed the chickens. Breakfast can be prepared only after all these tasks are finished and the children have completed their assigned chores as well. She rises while it is still night and provides food for her household and tasks for her servant girls. In the wintertime, when the fields are dormant, she would make hand-sewn quilts. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. And make them she did. She makes coverings for her bed. She made a quilt for each grandchild when they graduated from high school, all 15 of us. And then at our weddings, we were presented with another. Great-grandchildren meant baby quilts. I knew that she had made quilts for other occasions, for family and friends, even from some for sale, but I was astounded to learn that over her life she had made 1,000 hand-sewed quilts. She makes linen garments and sells them. She supplies the merchant with sashes. Once she was at a flea market and she saw that others were selling quilts for four or $500, when asked why she would never charge over 125 for hers, she said, well, it's not about making money. I just want to make people happy. And I don't want anyone to miss out if they can't afford one. She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. Throughout all the years, she kept my grandfather straight. It was actually a pretty easy task because he was such a great man. She always made him look good, though. At the end of his long service as an elder at the Alamance Presbyterian Church, he was elected elder emeritus, that is, elder for life. Her husband is known in the city gates taking his seat among the elders of the land. My grandfather suffered from Alzheimer's disease during the last several years of his life. Back in the summer of 1995, when Tracy and I graduated from seminary together, he and my grandmother traveled to Richmond, Virginia uh, to participate in the graduation exercises. During the reception afterwards, Pepal called me over to where he was in his wheelchair, and, and he looked up to me and he said, Brian... I'd like for you to meet my wife. Now he's saying this while at the same time with his other hand he's tugging my grandmother's blue dress while she's talking to someone else. And so I said, well, yeah, Papa, that's, um, that's Memo. Oh, yeah. That's right. That's right. The heart of her husband trusts her, and he will have no lack of gain. A few months later, I happened to be over at my grandparents' house 
Papa and I were sitting in the two Lazy Boy recliners in his living room watching his favorite TV show. That would be Bob Barker's Price is Right. All of a sudden, he leaned over to me and he said defiantly, You know, I've got the best woman there ever was. I can't move this leg here anymore and I can't, and I can't do things the way I used to. But she's never complained one bit. Her children call her blessed. Her husband, too, and he praises her. Yes, sir, he said with tears in his eyes. I've got the best woman that God ever made. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Let me tell you, Zena the warrior princess and Martha Stewart have nothing on my memo. She leaves them all in the dust. Thank you, ladies, for helping me. Thank you. I'm sure that all of you may have heard parts of your own mother's or grandmother's or your wife's story in my grandmother's life. They make the world go round, don't they? The truth is there are valiant warrior moms all over this place. And I suspect that there were several hundreds of you here this morning. Women of character who live lives radically committed to such things as trustworthiness, and wisdom, and generosity, shrewdness, industriousness, and a love and fear of God, even in times when everything else is telling you to do something else. And you do this not because you're perfect, but because the one who is perfect calls you to rest and to live in his loving arms. A valiant warrior mom Who can find? She is more precious than jewels. She certainly is. Father, we thank you for the beautiful and gracious and wonderful women that you have placed in our lives to offer us instruction and encouragement in the way that we ought to live in your light and within your will. We ask your deepest blessing upon them today as we celebrate them And as we lift them up to you, asking that you would encourage them and you would allow them to receive the sure knowledge that they are indeed your children and held comfortably in your arms. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.